Welcome to the Building PA Podcast, the voice of the construction industry throughout Pennsylvania. Here are your co-hosts, Chris Martin and John O'Brien. Hello and welcome to the Building PA Podcast. I'm your co-host, John O'Brien from the Keystone Contractors Association, coming to you live with my uh, spring allergy voice from the Quandle Studio. Joined as always by fellow co-host Chris Martin. Chris, how are we doing today, brother? Uh, I, John, I think I'm doing a little bit better than you. My allergies have been at bay, so I'm fortunate. But I will say I am taking my uh, nightly dose of uh, Zyrtec and Claritin. Oh, not together, yes. not together, but uh, <laughs> you know, you know, balancing it quite well. But uh, it's good to be here, John, on the Building Pay Podcast. Everyone, my name is Chris Martin, and I am uh, president of Atlas Marketing and. You can check out the stories that we tell for those that build things at atlasstories.com. Awesome. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> All right. I bang on the desk. I know. You can't hear I know. It, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So today, what do we got going on, Chris? What's going on? I think we are talking to, well, I shouldn't say I think. I know we are talking to the CEO and founder of Rocket Architects, Brian DiPietro, who we are going to be talking about sustainable design. And I think I said that right. Sustainable design. Did I say that yes. right? Okay. You can tell yes. I'm not an architect. Brian, welcome to the show, my man. Welcome. Well, th- thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here and uh, talk a little bit about sustainability. It's uh, such a great topic. Yeah. It's awesome to have you on the show. Leave it to the expert to say it the there right you way. You know? <laughs> I feel like like Brian's like an old friend of ours because we met him two years ago over COVID through I'm not even quite sure where maybe LinkedIn or emails and we start, we talked a few times and we swapped many some conversations emails. many conversations so it's an old friend of the show is coming on <laughs> welcome Brian <laughs> here um, we go yes. So Chris mentioned you're the president of, or I'm sorry, CEO and president of Rocket Architects. Can you maybe uh, tell us a little about a little bit about Rocket? So yeah, Rocket. We we were founded a little less than a year ago. Uh, you know, I was a, a partner over at WTW Architects, a, a large firm in Pittsburgh, and uh, left during COVID. Uh, started my own firm after looking at you know different options, and uh, we specialize in multifamily housing. I've got a very strong background from my time at WTW in student housing, which we then kind of delved into apartments about eh, seven or eight years ago while I was at WTW. With the uh, the student housing experience, I had led several projects there, you know, uh, a lot in, the, in Pennsylvania, you know, IUP, worked on some at Slippery Rock, Mansfield University, Allegheny College, several other schools as well uh, outside of Pennsylvania. Um, with a, a particular focus um, on sustainability where it presented it. One of my last projects at WTW was the first net zero energy ready dormitory in the SUNY system, uh, state of New York. Uh, so that was that was quite the accomplishment. They have 64 campuses up there. So you mentioned earlier, Brian, that you were in multi-housing and then made a switch over to university living. Any difference between the two? I, I mean, Actually, it was the other way around. We started. I started okay. in student housing and made the jump to apartments. Yeah, yes and no. And, and I think it's what you make of it, just like anything in life. And you know, I think where I found kind of my niche with the apartments is I bring that uh, 
kind of an X factor for the developers where, you know, there's a expertise at creating community, you know, having worked on college campuses and with students, a lot of the, the student housing design is focused on creating community. How do you get the kids out of their rooms and uh, spend time with each other rather in front of their TVs and on their computers? Brian, if I may interrupt you real quick, if you can figure that out, you will be a billionaire. Yes. If you can figure out how to get kids out of their room. I have three daughters. As a father, yes. yeah, as a father of two daughters. And man, let's, how? <laughs> you know, yeah, what, what? Not, not to take the train a, 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 in a different direction here, but man, yeah. if you can figure that out through design and, you know, man, you've got it made. <laughs> well, we you can know. encourage it. There you go. Right. <laughs> Through design and, and the element of this, how, how does that occur? Like, what, what are some things that you're that you're seeing and that you're doing to to get that community building um, activities or, or opportunities? Well, you know, you work with and depends on the project type, developer driven or or you know, a university based where it's a non developer, and making sure that there is that priority for the community in those types of spaces. Right now, we're working on a project with uh, Alpha Capital Partners down in Bridgeville, PA. Uh, Newberry um, Apartments is what you know the the you know general term is for it. And uh, you know it's a four hundred eighty thousand square foot development, and we were able to work in you know they had some of the programming they wanted units with dens included um, for the live live work component. You know that's come about because of COVID. And one of the things that they were really excited to to see that we were able to fit into the design and the program were these um, kind of impromptu meeting spaces and meeting rooms that just happened to fit into the rest of the building, really didn't add any square footage to the project. So now you've got these additional, almost like a conference or a meeting room that you could go and they can reserve it. And, you know, if you've got got someone that you're meeting with and you're working from home, you, know, you can meet with them in your building. One of the buildings, we're actually designing the club room to function more as a coffee shop, almost like a, a Panera or something like that. So you got to, you know, again, you've got a client and you're working from home and you want to meet with them. Why drive down the road to Panera? Hey, I'll go downstairs and meet you in my building, you know, outside patio space and fully equipped kitchen. And, you know, those are some of the things that you That's do. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and on the topic of sustainability, then, how does that fit into adding more rooms without adding square footage? Or, or I think I said that wrong, but I think you you understand you know, you know what I'm saying there. But how does sustainability fit into all of that in the process? Well, a, a lot of it depends again on the on the client and their wishes and you know priorities. Um, one of the things that we try to do is sell sell sustainability, but you know obviously we don't want to push too hard and and drive our clients away. But uh, it, it's, it, you know, it's a, it's a process that just kind of evolves and you have to kind of see where it goes and takes you. Uh, you know, as far as the adding those types of rooms sometimes, and this is a, you know, a trick that, or, you know, whatever you want to call it that I had learned from the student housing days is you, you make the, the apartments or the bedrooms a little bit smaller, a little less desirable, and you reassign that space to the common areas. I also look at it as just efficient design. Minimize the amount of corridors that you have because no one's going to use those for anything. And if you can make those corridors a little more efficient, you can use that square footage somewhere else. As far as sustainability goes, I think it's a you know it's a multi-pronged approach. It's a holistic approach where 
you're looking at the building envelope and how, how effective that is. And it's a balancing act. With multifamily, a lot of it is driven by how many windows you can fit. You're not going to have a bedroom without a window. You're not going to have a living room without a window. And some of the bigger trends seem to be views. You know, people want to see the outdoors and the outside. A lot of that came about with COVID. Well, the uh, the rating system has really kind of taken hold of that and prioritized, you know, biophilia and the views of the outside, fresh air, natural ventilation, those things. And a lot of those projects that had had focused on that prior to COVID really benefited during COVID from avoiding some of the issues that they were having in other buildings. You know, great example, we one of my last projects at WTW was Helm on the Allegheny. It was a riverfront building. Property is about 120 feet wide. So about 10% of the units were going to have a view of the river. The other 80% were staring directly into the side of a 12-story building that was 40 feet away. What I had done with the design was looked at it and sold the developer on the idea of turning all of the rooms on an angle so that about 80% of the rooms had direct views of the river. When we did that, there was actually, because of the change with the angle, we created more, a bigger envelope than there had been before. So each room now had more glass than they would have had if it was just a flat wall. So you had, you know, and they were, unfortunately, the building was facing north, which is the worst, <laughs> the worst thing you could do for sustainability. But when we did that, we were able to now get south facing windows in. And when you sat in the unit, each bedroom, 80% of the units, you could see the river from the bedroom because they were turned looking into the side of that building. With that came the opportunities for natural ventilation. Every unit had a balcony. Every unit had a big sliding glass door. So when COVID hit, because it was naturally ventilated, they weren't recirculating the air within the building. So the air was actually coming in directly from the outside, being pulled, circulated within that apartment, and then pushed directly back outside. So unless you were really spending a lot of time in the hallways, um, there was a very low chance of, of you know picking something up when you were outside of your room wow cool yeah you, you kind of touched on some trends there with uh you know fresh air and, and good views and then you, you kind of touched on a challenge there with uh with the fresh air aspect but are there other challenges when it comes to uh, uh sustainability and multifamily homes that laymen like chris and myself wouldn't understand or wouldn't see from the outside just looking at a drawing so maybe touch on some of the other challenges. I would say budget. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, obviously. It's the biggest challenge. <laughs> yeah, you guys are in the industry. That, that's it's always what it comes down to, any developer-driven project. And one of the things that we've done at Rocket is uh, we're pairing with a company uh, called Enteryields, uh, working with them and, you know, you know, just kind of a loose working relationship. These uh, They're founded not long ago by a Carnegie Mellon grad and they provide an algorithm that goes out and takes takes an assessment of your building. You plug in a few parameters and they'll come back and they'll tell you what government funding or you know public funds are available for a sustainable project. So they can come back and say, look, if you go for LEED certification, you might be able to get a grant or a low, finance, a low interest loan. Uh, if you're going to go passive house, this might be available. If you put solar panels on your roof, you could do this. So that ties into, you know, like our, our message of sustainability, I think, and look, I'm not even a year year out, out of the gate here, but our, our message of sustainability, I think, was developed when I was at, at my time at WTW working on this net zero project. And what I learned there was 
looking at it and looking at the construction budget and the construction numbers, it was very evident that when you go to net zero, the bulk of the cost of doing a highly, a very high-end sustainable building is in getting across the finish line. 80% of the energy savings that you would see in a building like that might be like an additional 5% of your construction cost. To get that to that net zero level, you're probably going closer to 15% of your construction cost that needs to be added. So to get that extra 20% of energy savings, there's a whole lot more that you have to spend and have to do. So our message is, you know, to the developers out there, focus on that initial 80% of savings. You know, and there's a couple of quick trips, tricks that, you know, I, I look at basically double the R value of your, your walls and go to a European style, or luckily a lot of window manufacturers are now getting to the point where you can get about a U value of about 0.17, which will, will get you to that level. Uh, we had done that up in, up in our uh, net zero project. And when I went in in the winter, you guys are in the construction industry. And this is, you know, my, my perfect layman's story. We had, I think it was uh, like five degrees outside. You know, this is upstate New York, middle of, uh, middle of New York. Heat wave. Yeah. It was in yeah, it was in February. And uh seventy-five thousand square foot building. You know, typically we would see about two torpedo heaters at either end of the building on each floor to keep it warm. Warm enough that the drywall doesn't crack, right, while they're finishing it. Well, I went in, they had one torpedo heater in the building. Not only could I not see my breath when I was walking around in there, we got to the fourth floor and the guys hanging drywall were in t shirts because they were that old. So wow. if you can do that by doubling the R value in your walls and going to a European style window. You know, imagine what kind of energy savings there are for your building. So the challenge though is from a developer driven type of project where they're renting out the apartments, they're not going to see those returns. And so the challenge that I see is how do you convince those developers to do, you know, to do the right thing, to be sustainable. We have a magazine, the Keystone Contractor magazine. We have a technology issue coming up in the future. And it sounds like, just from listening to what you're saying, how the technology that is available is continuing, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but paraphrasing, it continues to help drive the costs down from a design perspective so that hopefully the developers will be able to, to elicit that savings in some way, shape, or form. Is that something that you're seeing as a trend and and moving toward that, the use of technology to help drive costs? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's, you know, the development of new products, of you know, improving existing products. Like I said, you know, European style windows, they're they're just very expensive. Now you see manufacturers like Pella and and Quaker that are starting to come out with vinyl windows that are beginning to get close to meeting, you know, they're comparable in terms of a U value. So you know, and that's just one instance. I, I also think it's just design and approach and how, how, you know, kind of reinventing the wheel, you know, passive house is a, is a great system, but I think it's not, it's not like no, none of the uh, sustainability rating systems are perfect. You know, they, I think they all have great intentions, but I think that what happens, what I see with a lot of clients is it's sort of an all or nothing type thing. And this goes back to that, that initial message I was talking about where, you know, actually my current client, you know, they're looking at, let's design it to lead standards, but we're not going to go for lead certification because we don't want to go and pay, pay someone, you know, 
six figures to go and do the paperwork to document it. And if we miss one little prerequisite, we don't get certified. And, and that's, you know, it's surprisingly, a, you know, a common attitude. There's actually a, the uh, first, the most current lead rating system, the uh, first lead platinum house that was built in Canada, um, EcoHome. They were, they were close to getting passive house certification. There's no heating in it in Canada. Wow. That's crazy. Wow. They have, they have radiant heat flooring that they put in simply for the fact that, uh, you know, they don't want their feet cold. But you know, when you, you look at it and you <laughs> go to their website, uh, you know, they talked about, well, we thought about doing passive house and we were pretty close to it. But for us to do that extra 15% to get certified was going to cost us an arm and a leg. And we're, they were able to build this house. I know they did some of the labor themselves, but I think they said it came out at like $144 a square foot to build this house that was almost net zero, almost passive house, met lead platinum certification. But again, it's the point of, I, I think a lot of developers and clients kind of take this all or nothing approach to sustainability. And the way I look at it is, let's say one out of 50 new buildings is net zero, right? So we're saving energy on, we're going to save 2%, right? Energy is going to be saved by doing that one net zero project out of 50. Let's say you can get 10 out of 50 that the developer is going to say, okay, let's take this approach where we, we do our best and we do what we can afford. And maybe they're 80% savings for each of those projects. Now you're looking at a number that's closer to, you know, 15% energy saved for the good of the whole, as opposed to 2%. And, and, you know, I think that's a message that needs to be put out there. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned uh, passive a few times. Would you mind just giving just a passive 101, like a 30 second, and then, and then kind of talk about how it differs from, from lead? Yeah, so Passive House focuses on the, it's a German, it was started, uh, you know, it's H-A-U-S. Um, it was a German thing and basically focuses on the envelope and, you know, the energy savings that you see through the envelope. So there's five five major principles. And if I recall correctly, it's the insulate, insulation, which is roughly double what you would see in a normal building, uh, an airtight air barrier, high-end windows, and then increased air ventilation and thermal breaks. And with passive house, where you get into trouble is the thermal breaks and the increased air ventilation. So they don't look at access to public transportation. They don't look at recycled content or recycled materials. They don't look at how much energy is used. It's purely based on the efficiency of the building. And I, I look at it as a great tool to use. Chris was talking about technology and advancements in technology. I, I look at that as a, a tool that we can use to go and improve on, you know, the, the typical construction. Again, taking lessons of it. And well, you're going to spend a lot of money doing thermal bake breaks and the payback's very small. But if you did the insulation and the windows, the payback is very big. So Brian, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's, it's more of a, your, your philosophy is more of a shift toward toward elements of the construction that will imp improve the sustainability rather than doing a thousand things, at least 10, 10 things are better than nothing. Am I yes. hearing you correctly? Yes. Yeah, that's okay. exactly it. Nice. Okay. That's All a right. good approach. That, yeah, that makes sense. Get my layman's head around that, yes. you know, like, okay, <laughs> I got it. So you mentioned windows multiple times. You've mentioned, you know, the R value of, of, of the, of the walls. What are some other elements that 
anyone should be thinking about to help make those percentage steps in towards specific sustainability levels. Well, the the roof is just as important as the walls. And the windows are important because they're a component of the walls, right? Think of it, you know, it's your shelter, right? You go camping and you're in a tent, you've got the roof to keep the rain out and the walls to keep the driving rain out in the window. You know, it's the same same thing. You don't really get much heat loss through the foundations, through the, the slab on grade. You do get some, so Passive House looks at that. But again, big picture, it's, you know, it's a drop in the bucket, you know, so certification systems like Passive House, they're looking at making sure there are no drops, <laughs> you know, that, that 100% of that's taken out. And I say, if you can do 85 to 90% of it, that is a heck of a lot better than doing nothing. And there's a, you know, again, as with anything, and I'm not knocking any of the certification systems, they, um, I think they all have great intent. I think it's, the layperson's hesitancy to do it that, that's kind of the the downfall of these systems where you know it's an all or nothing type of a thing hey i want to go for net zero certification there's actually two types of net zero certification and they're very different ends of the spectrum uh, our our building in new york was uh through the ilfi the international living foundation institute i believe is the name and what they say is net zero means that all energy produced, you know, the, the, the building doesn't use any energy off the power grid, right? Any energy that it needs to operate is produced on site. So devil's advocate to that system, when you do design a very efficient building like we did with the passive house and you're saving all this energy, at the end of the day, you need about one square foot of solar for each square foot of building. So if you do a one-story building and you cover the roof in solar, you're good. But as soon as you do a four- or five-story building, now you've got to have an acre or two of solar panels sitting outside your building to be net zero. Now, LEED has more recently developed a net zero system. Basically, same rules apply. The only difference is that energy that needs to be generated, it's allowed to be generated off-site. And I see that as an improvement in the certification process because now if you're building a skyscraper in downtown, you don't have the real estate to build that. That's going to deter people from building a net zero building. But if they can go and buy green power from a certified green power source that's a wind farm or a solar farm in Texas or wherever it may be, I think as long as you're allocating that money to a renewable resource, it's achieving the same result that you're intending. So again, if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, Brian, what you're saying is is making sustainability the achievement of of reaching sustainability more achievable and more realistic, rather than trying to force people to 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 do something that is like you said, one square foot. You add more stories to a building. Now you've got to have you need four or five acres of of land to to sustain that. Am I am I hearing you correctly? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, part of it to me is any building, any building, existing or new construction could be net zero. It's a question of how much solar do you need to put to it, right? You could take a building from the 1800s that's no no insulation at all and throw a couple, you know, $100,000 of solar panels at it and achieve net zero. I don't know that that's good for the environment. Brian, you have definitely kind of stirred up thoughts here, and I'd be interested to hear 
what you know those in the Building PA podcast audience have to say. So as you're listening, feel free to, to engage on LinkedIn and Facebook and all the social media platforms that we have. And uh, let us know your thoughts about what Brian has said here today and, and help us understand uh, a little bit more. And, and, and we'll, we'll open that conversation. So, Brian, thank you for joining us and, and kind of getting this conversation started, if you will. Well, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for joining the Building PA podcast. To stay up to date, follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and visit buildingpapodcast.com to subscribe to upcoming shows. Thanks for listening.